book of Romans, chapter number one. Romans, chapter number one. Uh, blessing to celebrate these 25 years of the gospel going out through this island and from this island and literally traveling around the world. As you stand in this pulpit and you look back there on that back wall, you see all those newsletters of different missionaries and ministries, uh, but then you can't go anywhere around this community uh, that they don't know about the gospel being preached here at this church as well, and what a blessing it is. Let's stand tonight. We'll reverence God's Word together uh, in its reading. I want to start in verse number 1 of Romans chapter number 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. Now, the Lord's already given the Great Commission five times. In the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and in the beginning of the book of Acts. And now here's the sixth time uh, in the book of Romans where the apostle says, for obedience to the faith among all nations. Now, there are some that say that uh, Matthew 28, that great commission is uh, for days gone by. Uh, but everything you read about that commission is repeated in the New Testament epistles. And you cannot divorce these verses from the rest of the Bible. The Bible says in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will. And as we look in the Word of God, we see the great commission repeated again and again. Now, Look down in verse number 14. I am debtor, both of the Greeks and of the barbarians, both of the wise and of the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Father, we thank you for the good word of God. Thank you, Lord, for a place that you've set aside. Lord, you brought a called out assembly of your people together. Lord, you had it called New Hope Baptist Church. Thank you, Father, for your people. Lord, thank you that uh, this is your house and that we're welcomed in your house because of what your Son did for us. Lord, we plead the blood of Jesus over the service tonight. Bless my dear brothers. He preaches tomorrow night. God move and minister in the Lord's Day services, and as we celebrate what you've done for a quarter of a century, Lord, I pray that this people would be encouraged to go on to serve you and to see even greater things accomplished and done.
to the glory of our God. Lord, I need your help to preach. We know you being the sinless Son of God, said the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he hath anointed me to preach. And if you, the sinless Son of God, needed the anointing, how much more do I, fallen creature of Adam, saved by the grace of God? Lord, let this message not just go in ears, but may it go in hearts. Accompany it wherever it goes, by digital means or by folk that are sitting here. Lord, I pray you do your work. We yield it unto thee. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach tonight on the thought, the creed of the Apostle Paul. The creed of the Apostle Paul. Paul, what are you all about? What do you believe? What's your doctrine? What drives you to do what you're doing? And he was asked that by many a governor and even by kings. Tell us of your faith in Christ. And the apostle opened up. And he gave them his testimony of who Jesus was and what Jesus meant to him. Well, now he's going to deliver a message that God's given him to Rome. Rome was the capital of the then known world. Every road, they said, led to Rome. They influenced all the world. That's where the hierarchy was at. That's where ruling political power. Uh, That's where the financial institutions were at. That's where... Uh, civic government was that. That's where uh, all of the various cultures came forth from Rome and were all attached back to it. And now the apostle is taking the gospel to the barbarians, to the heathen islands. He's taking them, uh, taking the gospel to all different kind of places. But now he brings this gospel to Rome itself. And he says in this message, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm ready to preach it to you that are at Rome also. The gospel is nothing to be ashamed of. We don't have to hang our head low and whistle through the back alleys of life. You are a nobody headed nowhere. You are a somebody headed somewhere, praise God. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ that he emboldens us to be able to carry this gospel And be unashamed of it everywhere we go. Now we find that the gospel of the Lord Jesus worked in many different places. It worked in Corinth, which was a wicked heathen port. It worked in Galatia, which was a country district. It worked in Philippi, which was a Roman out colony and a station uh, that gave tax-free businesses to the Jews that would move there. It worked in Colossae, a small city under the lip of Mount uh, Calamus. It worked, my friend, over in Crete, where the Philistines came from and where their ancestors were from. This gospel worked uh, in Cornelius' house, who was of the Italian band and Italian heritage. It worked in the Hebrews and uh, even from uh, the midst of the Pharisees, many of them getting saved by the grace of God. Uh, This gospel worked wherever it was carried in the power of the Holy Ghost. And I'm glad, thank God, there's one gospel for one world. I don't care where you go, what country, what kindred, what tribe, what country. When the gospel is preached, God does His work. I am an evangelist. I've never pastored a church for these 40 
uh, five years, the Lord's opened up doors for us to travel and go in different places. I'm a mountain boy raised on the head of Green River, way back in the woods. I was shy and bashful, didn't like oral book reports, none of that stuff. But God saved me by His grace, called me to preach, and then sent me out. And I'll never forget the first time going to India, getting off that plane, looking at all these different gods and goddesses and smoked-up priests with painted faces and all this ancient culture that they had. And I said, what in the world is a country boy from Green River doing here? I mean, these folk have been raised to drink milk with rats in some temple somewhere. They worship anything that moves and don't move. And, and how can I convince them? The Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, you can't convince them, but if you'll give, me my, give them my gospel, then I will convince them. And I'll never forget that first service in Hyderabad, preaching in the Hyderabad gardens and finishing up, giving invitation. Here came this dear little old Indian lady with a dot between her eyes waddling down the aisle. And she said to Brother Emmanuel, she said, I'm ready to renounce all my gods and my goddesses, and I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. And God saved her soul. And as she was turning around, walking off, the Lord said, I told you, you just tell them what I said, and I'll do the rest. Hallelujah. If it was philosophy, if it was education, if it was a talent, if it was ability, then it would eliminate a whole lot of us. But the power of the gospel is not in me, and it's not in you. It's in the Lord himself and in the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, Paul begins to explain to them what makes him tick in verse number 14, down through verse number 18, what his creed was, what, what drove him to do what he did. I notice, first of all, that the apostle says, I have a debt and a responsibility. Why am I coming to you? Verse number 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Now, Paul did not say the world owed him a living. He did not say God owed him anything. He said, I am a debtor. Now, why did he feel like he was a debtor? Well, he knew that his proper place should be in hell. He knew that he was an injurious, blaspheming, cursing, Christ-denier. He knew that he had blood on his hands of God's children. He knew he was the chiefest of sinners, but the grace of God appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and the Lord redeemed him and changed his life. And he said, because God has done all that for me, the least I can do is serve him. First of all, he's saying, I'm a debtor to God. And you know, the Bible says that we are not our own, but we've been bought with a price. A lot of folk act like salvation is nothing more than them really honoring God and giving God the privilege to save them out of hell and let them inhabit heaven. I never have felt that way. I don't deserve the grace of God, and grace is the unmerited, unearned, unsought, undeserved favor of Almighty God. And if there's anything Apostle Paul knew, he knew that he was saved by grace through faith, that not of himself. It's the gift of God's, and he said, I cannot boast in any way whatsoever because I owe all my salvation to him, and because I owe that to him, then I am a debtor unto him. 
And when you got saved, Jesus became your Lord. You signed over the title deed of your soul. He is not their Savior. He is Lord and Savior. And you'll see that accompaniment of those two terms again and again, and you'll find that He wants to Lord our lives, that is, govern and lead us, and we are debtors unto Him. But then Paul felt like he was a debtor unto those that were lost. He was like a man who had been traveling with a group of people, and they're going across the desert. They're all dying of thirst, and one man breaks off and says, you know, you go that way, I'm going to go over the hill. And he crosses over the hill, comes down through the valley, and here's this oasis. Palm trees were growing, cool, clear, fresh water. He dives in that. He drinks and he drinks and he's bathing in it. and He's rejoicing, oh, my, 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 look what blessings have fallen upon me. And then he suddenly remembers my cohorts, my friends, they're going the other direction. They're going to die. They don't have what I've got. And that man would be a very sorry, low-down human being if he didn't crawl out of that oasis of water, run across the top of the hill, and begin to shout, I found water in the desert. I found water in the desert. And bring his friends up to that. Well, you have drunk of the water of life, and so have I. And yet there are many that we've traveled with, many that we were friends with, many that we've known all of our life that know not the salvation that you know. And I believe that we would be very guilty and we would be poor human beings if we didn't have enough passion in our heart to want to share with them what God's done for us. I've noticed people, when they get saved, the very first thing they want to do is go tell somebody else. I've got many a phone call from people that I've been praying for and witnessing to, and finally they get saved, and, and I hear their voice on the other end of the line, and I really don't have to even know why they've called. I know why they've called. Uh, but brother, brother Randy, I just want to I just got saved. Hallelujah. And boy, they're rejoicing because of what God's done for them. And then they want to go tell other people. I got saved on a Wednesday night on Thursday morning. I came up Green River Road. My friend James came down the road. We stopped in a curve. I rolled my window down. He rolled his window down. I said to my friend James, how you doing? He said, good. He said, you? I said, I'm doing great. I said, guess what happened to me last night? He said, what? I said, I got saved by the grace of God. He said, huh, rolled his wind up, took off, and dodged me for the next three years. It was like turning a light on and cockroaches running everywhere. But you know what? He got saved, and now he's a preacher and a pastor of a Baptist church right near our home. Hallelujah. It scared him at first, but then he began to look, and he saw, and God got a hold of his heart as well. And you know, as God's children, we too are debtors. Look, if you will, please, over at 2 Kings chapter number 7. There is a Bible story that it illustrates how that we are debtors. We're debtors unto all men. Now, in this story in 2 Kings chapter number 7, the city of Samaria is besieged. They're dying. I mean, there's cannibalism going on. It's an awful time. Outside those gates, the Bible said there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate. There they were, starving to death. The people of the city wasn't going to give them anything to eat. They couldn't get anything to eat. They're dying. But there's at least one thinking leper sitting there. 
And he says, why sit we here till we die? I mean, we can sit here and dry up and just die. Nobody's going to feed us. But if we go inside, they're not going to give it to us. But the Syrian camp out there, and if we go out for the Syrians, all they can do is kill us, so we're going to die anyhow. And the other one said, all right, yeah, let's, let's go. And so they sneak out to that camp at twilight, the Bible says. And when they got out there, something miraculous and strange had happened that had been predicted by the prophet of God. He told the king by this time tomorrow, uh, everybody's going to have something to eat. And the old porter said, no, we won't either. He said, you'll see it, but you won't eat of it. And they trampled him to death. But these lepers go out and they look and they see the camp's gone. There's smoke rolling up at the kitchen tent. They slip in there. Praise God, there's some soup. They begin to eat soup. They look in another tent and there's bread. And they run out and they hide what they've got. And they look around, they come back and they get some more. And they're beginning to eat and fill up. And they have clothes there that's been left behind. There's gold and there's silver. There's everything that was in the Syrian camp. It's all left behind. And they gather it up and they run out and they hide it. And they come back and they're still fearful. But then after a while, they get brave, and they go from tent to tent. And, man, they're eating. Hey, man, I found another loaf. You want some more? But, oh, I've got all I can have. How about some soup? No, I've had plenty. And you know what they're doing? They're belching and a-burping and a-bragging. Praise God we're full. This is such a blessing. Look at what all we have. We've struck it rich, boys. I can see them stretch out on the bed say, whew. I'm going to have to rest. I've eaten so much. And while they're laying there, that thinking leper, he says, you know, we do not well if we tarry till morning. There are people back in the village starving to death. They're eating their own babies. And we've got more than we could ever eat in a lifetime. And if we don't go tell them, it's not going to do well by us. Yeah, but they wouldn't feed us. They didn't care about us. They wasn't going to help us. That may be so, but I've got a burden in my heart to tell them where they can have all that they need and then some. All right, well, let's go. And so they came back to the gate, and they shouted up at the porter and told him, said, we've struck it rich. The Syrians are gone. Everything they got's been left behind. Don't believe a word of it. Where'd I get this at then? Where'd I get these new clothes at? I don't know about all that. And so they ran and told the king. And the king said, it's a trap. It's a trap. The Syrians are pulled back to get us out there, and then they're going to kill us all. And a wise man said to him, let's send five horsemen out and check it out. Five horsemen went out. They checked it out. It was just like the leper said. This camp's just out of sight. It's in the world of faith, faith. Not the world aside. They go check it all out, and they follow the trail of the Syrians, and they've left clothes and everything else. They've got rabbit in their feet. God sent such fear to them. They thought the Egyptians, everybody else is coming to kill them, and they have hightailed it out of there. These horsemen come galloping back and say, it's so, it's so, it's so. One slips out and another and another, and they keep coming back and showing the tokens of blessings. Praise God, the city is delivered. Does that remind you, anybody you know? I got saved. I struck it rich immediately. Praise God. I found out about the riches of forgiveness. 
I partook of the bread of life, and he's the only one that can fill and satisfy my soul. I've drunk of the water of life, and he has quenched my thirst. I have everything in Christ Jesus. I've become an heir of God and a joint heir in Christ Jesus. And praise God, we can gather here in this church today, and we can say hallelujah. Let me tell you about the riches of the blessings of the Lord Jesus in my life. Hallelujah. But wait a minute. Wait a minute, we've left a lot of folk that don't know what you know, that haven't experienced salvation like you've experienced and I've experienced. So what ought to be the burden of our heart? The burden of our heart ought to be what Paul said, I am debtor. And notice who he said he's debtor to, not to one class. I go to places where they say, well, we want a church that's only a French church. Or we want a church that is only a German church. Or we want a church that's only an African church. Or uh, we want a church that's only uh, this uh, category. That's not the gospel. The gospel is an every man gospel. The gospel reaches out to all classes. And the apostle said, I am debtor both to the wise and to the unwise. I'm a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians. I'm a debtor to the Greeks knowing Shakespeare. I'm a debtor to the barbarians that will shake their spear at you. He said, it don't matter who they are, what human being they are, I feel like I have got a debt to give them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say, my friend, that you and I have that same debt tonight. Now, have you ever heard of Dave Ramsey? If anybody, raise your hand if you've heard old Dave, oh, old Dave Ramsey, man. You know, he was a multi-millionaire real estate guy, but he was a multi-millionaire that borrowed everything. And when the banks called his dead end and all that, he went broke overnight. He said, never again. And so he started this thing that's made him another multi-millionaire. Uh, but he's got this philosophy how to get out of debt and how to stay out of debt. Now, how many here tonight would jump up and say, Glory to God, I'm in debt, and I'm so proud of it. I'm so happy. I'm going to go get some more debt on me. No. Ramsey says, number one, you have to acknowledge you're in debt. Oh, honey, just put it on the credit card. Yeah, but it comes due next month. Oh, sweetheart, let's just go borrow the money from the bank. Yeah, but then how are we going to pay that back? You have to acknowledge you're in debt. And if you don't acknowledge that, you're never going to get out of debt. Our nation's not acknowledging debt. These political elections coming up, and it makes me sick, man. They need a grease fitting on the debt clock. I mean, it's just the interest is wheeling it around. Drive Brother Kevin crazy, I'm sure. My soul. But nobody's talking about national. Just, just let's spend our way out of, out of debt. You can't do it. So you got to acknowledge I'm in debt. Do you acknowledge you're in debt to others that you're around? And then Ramsey says if you're going to get out of debt, first of all, you start with your smallest debt and then proceed to your largest. In other words, if you owe $50 down here at the grocery store, save up, miss a few meals, go down here, pay your card off. Say amen right there. Pay your card off. Let's get that 50 out of the way. Now that's out of the way. Now... 
You got a hundred dollar debt somewhere. Let's work on that. Then you've got a car payment. Let's work on getting that car payment paid off. Then you've got land payment. Let's work on that. Now let's work on the house payment. Just keeps and as you get rid of the little ones, then you can really apply that toward the bigger ones. And the snowball is melting. Instead of getting bigger, it's getting smaller all the time. I said, man, that applies spiritually. Are we debtors tonight? Say amen if you believe that. All right, start with your first debt. You're married. Honey, tell me how you got saved, how you know. You know I'm saved. Yeah, but I never have heard how you got. I want to hear it from you. Well, and you know there have been many a husband and wife that have asked them each other that question, and it really prodded them to say, uh, uh, well, I just thought I've always been a Christian. I've been around church and all that, you know, but born again. What do you mean born again? And boy, you get to the, and you need to look at your spouse and ask your spouse, are you saved? If you are saved, tell me how you got saved. That's your first debt. Then your children. We brought these children into the world. It's our job to get them ready for the next world. Have you ever sent your children down and discussed with them eye to eye salvation and say, listen, you're getting old enough now and you're accountable before God. And if you die lost, you're going to go to hell. And I couldn't bear having the family circle broken and you dying and going to hell. Some of you children that are saved, you got a debt. Look at your mama and your daddy when you go home. And there have been many a hard-hearted man broken because of some little child that's crawled up in their lap and said, you know, I learned about Jesus and I've trusted Him as my Savior. And are you saved? And if you're not saved, why are you not saved? Because, Daddy, Mama, I don't want to go to heaven without you. I want you to be there. And then what about the fellow you work with? What about your best friend? And how many times have I heard this? Pray for so-and-so's family. I worked with this fella. He, he was going to work and got hit head on with a drunk driver. And, boy, just pray for them. And you get around talking to them. You say you work with that guy. Yeah, well, was he a saved man? Well, uh, I don't know. Well, how long did you work with him? 20 years. 20 years. And you never one time asked them if they were saved, give them a gospel track, or approach them. I'm not going to be around somebody 20 minutes without starting to ask them about the Lord and their salvation because I may never meet them ever again. And yet people are, are neighbors. They work with folk. They're around them. They're, they buy groceries. They buy gas. They, they do all these things, and they never pay that debt. Well, you know, I'm afraid that uh, I might offend them. I might offend them. You wait till you're standing at the white throne judgment with the children of God, and they're over there on the side of the lost folk, and they look at you and say, you were saved? You knew, and you never told me, not one time. Why did you not tell me? Depart, you cursed into everlasting fire. You're not going to send them any more to hell by witnessing to them than they're already going. And sometimes it takes people really getting shocked for it to get their attention. And they may act like it didn't bother them, and they may act like it doesn't affect them, 
But I guarantee you, if you give them a good witness and, and a loving witness, none of us are highbrow. We don't think we ought to even be going to heaven except for Jesus. And you witness to them in the right way. There's no telling what God will do. And by the way, God's got a big corralling program. How many times have I witnessed to somebody and had them say, yeah, my mama's just telling me that. <laughs> God sent somebody else into their life to tell them. And many times you'll find out, and you could testify this, that one person, then another, then another. Brother Dave Crow over in Australia, one of the best missionaries I know of, reaching the Highlanders, and boy, I mean folk with the bones in their nose, still shooting arrows at each other and all that. He was an Australian hippie. And he, uh, we were going across the bridge, me and Brother Buddy Smith and taking his wife, Julie, over to a hospital. We crossed this bridge in Cairns, Australia. She started laughing, and I said, what are you laughing about, Miss Julie? She said, oh, that's where Dave used to live as a troll under that bridge. I said, you're kidding. She said, why, sure, here's a full-fledged, dope-headed hippie. Well, I got to go preach for Dave Crow. He's saved now, amen, but I got to go preach for him, and, and I sat down at breakfast. I said, give me a testimony. How'd you get saved? He said, well, he told me about his wild career sin, but he said, I was staying in a hostel in Cairns. He said, I came out the door one day and said there was this lady sitting there on a bench reading the Bible. and said she was just so absorbed by it. And said, I stood there and just watched her. And she said, I, he said, I went to town and I came back and said, she's still reading it. And I thought, if I ever get a Bible, I'll find out what's interesting about that. He said he made a big round through Australia, came back and stayed at that same hostel, and she was gone. But he went down to Sydney, Australia, came in front of a Catholic thrift store, and in the window there was a King James Bible. He said he walked back and forth and back and forth for 10 minutes and finally got courage to go inside, and he walked over looked at that Bible and said that nun came out to meet him and said, you want that Bible? He said, I started to run. It scared me so bad. She said, you don't have to buy it. You can have it. She got the Bible and gave it to him. He said he stuck it in his backpack, wouldn't let anybody hear, hear, see him read it. He'd read it at night. But through that, God got a hold of his heart, and the Lord saved him by the grace of God. He told me about two or three other people that just a little jog, a little jog, but God put it all together for him. I was preaching in Paris, France. It was a three-month meeting. I preached the same church every night for three months. During the second month, the medical doctor came, practiced medicine for 40 years. I preached that night, and that fellow got saved. After it was over, I talked with him for probably an hour. But he told me, he said, Preacher, that was the first full discourse of the gospel I ever heard. However... Through 40 years of practice, my patience had gave me a little here and a little there. And when you preach tonight, it all came together in one package. He said, now I understand it's not ritual, it's not priest, it's not church. It's Jesus. He died for me. He bled for me. He lives. And I've trusted him. And he said, it's like I've been born anew, preacher. I said, you got the language right, doc. It's being born again. Amen. But I thought, how many people went to how many doctors and gave him a snippet and thought, that'll not go anywhere, and yet God pulled it all together.
you never know who, when, where. God will let you be a witness. But just remember this. Paul's creed was, I'm a debtor to all men. I had a priest jump on me while I was in Paris, giving out Gospels of John and Romans outside of Subway right down from the church. Church bells rang up on the hill, and here come a Jesuit convention. It looked like a Batman convention. They all had on their black robes coming down through there. And I just kept giving out Gospels, and one of them went down into the subway, and a little bit he came up out of there holding that Gospel in his hand like this. He was snorting and blowing snot, and it was freezing in his mustache. Who are you? I said, uh, I'm a gospel preacher, just giving out the gospel. He said, this is my parish. I said, the world is my parish, sir. I'm an equal opportunity evangelist. I just give it to everybody. Oh, my. We had a real confrontation there. And one of the, one of the fellows that was a Frenchman was with me. And, man, he came out of Catholicism. He said, I want to ask you a question. He said, why is it you only administer the body of Christ, the bread, but you drink the blood? When God said it was by the blood and by the body, he had no comment on that. And also he told me, he said, don't you know what Matthew 16 says? I said, yeah. I said, it says Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He said, no, no, no. He gave to Peter the key. He said, he's the first pope. I said, sir, is the pope a married man? He said, he cannot be. I said, you know, I was reading the Bible one day, and Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And I said, last time I checked to have a mother-in-law, that meant you had a wife. He said, and he went on down, down into the subway. Amen. But I pray that will get a hold of his heart. I said all that, not to brag on me, but to say this. You'll reach people that your preacher and this congregation will never reach. I talked to a dear brother today. He's come out of a rough background. And I said, God has gifted you with friends. And he said, yeah, and they're lost too. But he said, they're still friends. I said, yes, but he saved you. Now you've got opportunity to do what nobody else can do. And that is shine that light of the glorious gospel. So the first part of Paul's creed was, I've got a debt and a responsibility to my world, whether they be Greeks, barbarians, wise or unwise. And that's our responsibility as God's children. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your good mercy and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to bring encouragement to all of us tonight to remember that we are debtors. Help us, Lord, to pay our debts, not only here in our own homes, but in this community, then in this state, in our nation, and then literally around the world. And help us, dear God, to do as the woman who did what she could, the Bible says. Lord, we've got to do what we can. We can't do it all. God, you don't expect us to, but we can do what we can. I ask you, Father, to touch this congregation. I pray you'd prod our hearts tonight. And as we meditate on the Word of God throughout this coming day, I pray, Lord, that you would just bring it obvious to us that there's somebody we need to speak to. And when you do, and that lump gets in their throat, 
I pray that they would have that boldness and that unashamedness of getting that gospel message out. Lord, have your way now. In Jesus' name I pray.